Thanks for tuning into Behind the Scene, a conversation dedicated to uncovering our biases and how to navigate them in a constructive way. Hi, I'm Mark Bauer. And I'm Brandon Polk. Welcome to Season 3, Episode 5 of Behind the Scene, a conversation focused on understanding the biases that are at the root of society's racial tensions. Today, we are going to be talking about conscious masculinity and the role that that plays uh, in the race conversation, racial injustice conversation, uh, and specifically, what are some of the barriers to conscious masculinity? And today, we are joined with a guest for the first time in a while, for the first time this season, I believe, uh, we're joined by Addison Brazil, who is kind of He's kind of like Brandon in a way that he's very, he's got his hands in a lot of different pots. So Addison, I'll, I'll allow you to give yourself a, a better, more succinct intro. Yeah, we're really excited to have you, Addison. I'm great. I'm really excited for you to give your intro. And then we're going to jump in pretty quickly into this really vulnerable conversation. Mark is right that we are, we are kindred, <laughs> um, <laughs> I think is the, the, the um, word that does not give us justice here, but uh, in terms of our connections, I'm excited uh, to hear you talk about yourself and give, give the people a little hint about your story. And let's just go ahead and tell them where, where they can find um, what it is that you're all about right up top. Yeah, absolutely. So again, thank you guys for having me and holding this space. Uh, Honored to be a guest. I am a multi-hyphenate, so I'm just going to kind of go with what makes sense with today. So I am the founder of Addy Connect, which is basically functions as a high-level uh, conscious concierge for people and companies, and we can get into more of that later. And I am also um, the current VP of brand for the Tether for Men app, which is a peer-to-peer -peer support community that has just launched on the Apple Store in the last three weeks uh, in an effort to connect real men to have real conversations. So right. wonderful. It's so good. You know, I, um, I know that we're going to put a lot more about you in the notes here and about the good work that you're striving to, to do. And um, really excited about the fact that we get to have this conversation about what we're calling conscious masculinity. I mean, I, I think that we've created a terminology for this almost, <laughs> but mm -hmm. um, I, I think that what we're really trying to get to here is that there's a, um, a real historical significance, you know, to, uh, to, to, to really trying to, to understand the way that power plays out and has played out historically between white men, black men, other types of men throughout the history of our fair country and not the history of the world. And in reality, you know, we are dealing with this um, sort of a psychosis, you know, of, 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 of identity. Um, what does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to be a black man? What does it mean to be a white man? What is the difference um, between being um, the uh, Supreme Court justice or, 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 or the chief justice of, of the of the Supreme Court versus being a Rodney King, you know, um, and and uh, and the consciousness um, that we relate to uh, race um, and in particular um, male uh, whiteness or male blackness. And um, it's just a really interesting for us to unpack that. But I think that what what, what we're really going to get to is something that we've talked about here a lot, which is being introspective, being honest, being vulnerable, and really getting to, to that place of encouraging men, sort of regardless of race, to excavate 
where where they're at, where their stories are, and really fight for that health and that wellness, that behavioral health. And, and even as it relates to our ongoing conversation about race, saying that everyone has something that they can contribute to this conversation in a constructive way, but it will really take looking at um, our capacity for great evil and great darkness um, in a way that, that, that does help us to see our capacity for great light and great love. Um, so I'll just tee us up by just basically saying um, the last several weeks have been really crazy for me. I've been curating a lot of conversations about race, um, somewhat with the national audience, with some influencers, um, some just with friends, and I am legitimately exhausted. So what I have asked quite vulnerably <laughs> is that I'm going to take a, a little bit of like a, a a vulnerable place in this conversation just by saying that I'm exhausted and as a black person really really tired of having white people ask me how I feel <laughs> and I really want you know white men these two white men that I get to have <laughs> well kind of white I mean Addison you're kind of white um, <laughs> um, you know um, but Mark is definitely white um, but but to just ask this conversation or, or, or to ask this this question do this excavation about what is it with white men telling me <laughs> that they're that, that they feel endangered right now or that it's really dangerous for them to have these conversations and I don't mean that in a facetious way but I mean it to say that from my place of exhaustion where I'm being asked to speak a lot and to give guidance a lot, I think it's just really important now that we change the direction of this conversation for our purposes today and actually talk about um, quite generally what it means to be vulnerable and the challenges that it means to be vulnerable as men, but in particular in this conversation about race, why is that particularly difficult you know, for white men um, as it relates to the current moment? So I'll stop there and then Mark, I'll toss to you and then maybe we can you know, see what, what happens, but I'll put you on the chopping block as we mm -hmm. oftentimes say, and I'll say, what's up with white dudes? <laughs> what's up with white men who have been in power? You know, white people still represent 72% of the population here in this country, black people representing 17%. This, this whole thing that I find that people say to me um, is just really evident, you know, a fear of loss of position, loss of power. Mm -hmm. At least that's what it feels like to me. But if you were yeah. to take a, cons a, a more conservative leaning position on this conversation what is in the psyche of the black male mind um is it fear is it confusion what is going on you know that allows um or, or that disallows um white men to come to this conversation in a way that isn't defensive yeah yeah no i i think that you teed it up great i i'm happy to put my head on the chopping block uh because um I, I made no bones about the fact that some of the lessons that I've learned over the last few years and applied to the race conversation have stemmed from counseling and therapy and a deep excavation of things that uh, resulted from past relationships uh, where I was kind of forced to to take a look at myself and see where where was I, where was Mark Bauer contributing to, to some of these problems. And uh, and so that was born out of, you know, uh, back in 2016, uh, a relationship came to a head and um, and even recently and actually just, you know, full disclosure, that's how I know Addison is through uh, another recent relationship uh, where I've had to recently learn a lot and do uh, another excavation to kind of see where patterns are resurfacing 
in ways that I thought I'd overcome uh, and realizing that, you know, that's a lifelong work. And part of being conscious is uh, realizing that, that you don't arrive. Uh, it's something that you have to be continually on top of, uh, of navigating problems uh, that arise in, throughout your life. So um, I'm a little like Taylor Swift, I feel like in that regard, where I'm using the wreckage from like personal r relationships and uh, and trying to apply them to uh, to some utility or benefit to society. And so, you know, that's what I'm doing here. Um, I would say, you know, and just kind of looking and trying to draw those parallels, I think it's important to to say that because everybody is has been involved in, in an intimate relationship at some point. And so if you can recognize yourself in, in my story and, and some of the things that I've been working through, uh, then maybe you can apply those to the to race conversation in general at large in the same way. And so uh, the first thing that comes to my mind is honestly fear, like you said, and scarcity, kind of a fear uh, and, and vulnerability there. Um, some of the things that I'm realizing that have come up in my life are is, is a fear around giving up what, a, what I would consider as control and realizing that we actually don't have control at all. Uh, but a lot of preconceived ideas around what life should look like, thinking that a partner, sh if they love you, needs to get on board with your preconceived idea or they aren't loving you the way that they should or that you think they should. And not allowing someone else not allowing to feel the full weight of someone else's influence on the direction of your life. And like I said, doesn't even have to change the destination so much. You can align on the destination, but saying, hey, there might be a different way to arrive there. That's a very scary and vulnerable, vulnerable place for a man to be. And even saying that, it sounds silly. Like, what is, what is the great fear in that? Uh, but in a similar way, applied to the racial conversation, you know, you look at scarcity, you look at fear, um, if there are more people competing for jobs, for example, because things are more equitable now, uh, a man is going to feel threatened by that. Um, and of course, there are some cultural programming things that go into that as well. Uh, I know Brene Brown has said some really smart things about toxic masculinity, and this is someone who's an expert on vulnerability. And even she has said that she's had an aha moment where she's contributed to the patriarchy there where she's like, I, uh, I didn't even realize that I was in some ways shaming maybe her partner or other men, uh, colleagues for being vulnerable and compassionate. Uh, if we look at, you know, examples of leaders in our country with President Obama, who evolved on the issue of same sex marriage, and uh, he was condemned for that. If you look at Mitt Romney, who had changed his position on issues, he was called a flip-flopper. Uh, so men really aren't given the space by each other or, or uh, you know, anybody in society to, to express that vulnerability, to express self-doubt. Um, but they are, it starts with you, though. You don't have to be given that permission by people outside uh, society to do that. Uh, and so that's kind of where I, I find myself um, is trying now to exercise like what are the things from my childhood that contribute to my, you know, distrust of allowing people to influence me in that way. Uh, and then what are the cultural messages I'm getting that are, are barriers to that. And, and Addison, I think that you, you know, you are well positioned to speak on that because that's what you have made your life's work, essentially. Uh, so is there anything in there that I've said that kind of like triggers a thought in you where you're like, yes, like I, I see that 100 percent. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I just first off and foremost, just want to say like, thank you both for like showing up to this conversation vulnerably and so consciously yourselves. I mean, I think it's just so rare that space is held like this and that you can really say, you know, what what's on your mind and, and consciously show up like that. So I just want to start by acknowledging that because that's something that we always like to do, um, both at Tether and at Addy Connect. Um, I think what I'm hearing, it's funny, I'm always going back to like a bit of my like coaching and consulting roots because, you know, you both said so much in there um, and I'm like unpacking as we go. And I think like what what I'm really hearing from from my side of it is that we're at this this intersection and it's all about everybody, regardless of gender, learning to navigate and to do that consciously. And whenever like I consult or coach or when I'm building the brand with Tether, the main thing like I try to focus on when the word conscious is used, because even the word conscious, you know, what does that really mean? You know, and I don't want to make anyone kind of feel excluded from this conversation by, you know, feeling right now, what what are they saying when when they're saying conscious or conscious masculinity? And what I always say to my clients, um, as you guys both know, like I created the speed test, which kind of goes through clients with trying them to get them a, a little more conscious about sustainability, philanthropy, ethics, environmental action, and diversity as a result of inclusion. So I've been a part of these conversations that are kind of just starting to happen, as Brandon mentioned, now for a while. And I think what we need to reiterate first off is that when we say conscious and when we say to approach um, you know, your gender role or your role in society when having conversations, consciously just means that you thought about it that you connected with yourself and you thought about it. You, you, did, you did the research you could and, and you, you're showing up fully to it. It's not, um, it's not passing off a preconceived notion or taking somebody else's word for it that you consciously are approaching the situation. Um, and I think that that's a very common thing. And then obviously within, you know, we found ourselves at this intersection and at Tether, when we, when we, when we were building the app, you know, we have all this research and all of these stats and two of the stats that are Close the Gap initiative that's going on right now that are kind of like leading our work right now is that 77% of men, all men across the board, um, have either depression, anxiety or stress. And that the second is that 40% of men won't ask for professional help until they feel suicidal or inflicting self-harm. So we're, we're doing this initiative right now to close the gap. But then within that, like as the VP and continuing the research, you have to realize those statistics are studies before we get to an intersection of a global pandemic with, with isolation and stay at home. And then also the, the beautiful outpouring that has been the Black Lives Matter movement in the last two months of, you know, really, really consciously starting to approach and look at uh, racial injustice in America and abroad. Um, and I also have like a different point of view too, because as you guys know, I'm Canadian. So I bring like <laughs> a really a weird mix to this conversation. And um, it, it's kind of a nice thing for me because I, I don't tend to go political. So that's, that's really great. I, I try to always like look at the human experience, um, which is great. But 
what it was trying to say is within that close the gap, I am also heavily aware. And Brandon, just for the record, white man fully, okay. uh, just just Portuguese. <laughs> Brazil is a total like you know, I, right? It's a it's version, like, but yeah. we're going to acknowledge really all cool of your heritage. Thing. We'll acknowledge yes. all of your heritage. Yeah, I actually did my twenty three and Me recently, hoping to you know pick up some new family members for conversation's sake. And no, I'm just I'm just definitely my father's son, and <laughs> nothing exciting there. Well, I'm grateful um, for that. Thank you for that honesty. Yeah. It's no shame in being white these days. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, and and that's the thing. There's and I think it's more so. Yeah, no shame in showing up as you are, as long as you're willing to do it consciously and fully. And I think that's the narrative that you know we're really trying to be a part of and and trying to shift here. It's is is having a community that's going to really provide that safe space you know, where, where these conversations can happen. And it doesn't fall on either side to have that, you know, and, and and within close the gap, like what I was about to say was with my research um, to, you know, to, when we look at race, you know, then there's a lot of, a lot of other gaps um, in there when we look at it from a mental health point of view for black and white, Um, you know, for instance, Brandon, you said 72% of the population is white, 17% is black. Well, you know, we know that 2% of the American Psychology Association, 2% of, of mental health professionals are black. Right. Um, so that's like, you know, close the gap. We're, we're you know, it, depending on, and this happens within gender as well, obviously, but we're looking to close all those gaps. Like right. that, 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 that's what's really coming to light right now is that re- like regardless the, the resources, the, there are gaps there. Um, and, and there's total gaps to our, our, the black men in our community, to the white men in our community and the resources that they've had available in their lives and, and how that plays into things. And of course there's, you know, there's gaps in, in sort of every approach to how to really support men at this time, depending on you know, how they're showing up in the world. And I think that's like kind of where we have our through line is, you know, it's more of a check-in with yourself at this point. Are you showing up fully? Do you mean what you say? Are you passing off a preconceived notion? Are you truly being like, as we started this conversation, vulnerable when you are showing up with other men and with other people that you may be inspiring thought and action to? Well, I think, um, and if I can kind of jump in there, I think uh, yeah, yeah, bringing yeah, up, you know, checking in and showing up and being present. Like I try, I consider myself to be a pretty conscious person and I've learned how to be that more over the last few years in, you know, my workplace or with my friendships where in the past I've, you know, been more of a people pleaser or just kind of resigned uh, and lost myself in other relationships and took the back seat to those things. And then I swung too far. I feel like the pendulum on the other side where I'm like, no, this is what I want. This is what I need. If you can meet those things and come on, come on aboard. Uh, but even that, like showing up and being present, I don't know that men are equipped. Like even now, if you ask me how I feel, I, I will automatically jump right into telling you something that is more like, what do I think? Like if, I won't tell you how I feel. Uh, I'll tell you how I think about a problem or how I'm approaching a problem and thinking through that. But it's still, that's not my natural position is to check in with myself to be like, okay, am I angry? Am I sad? Am I anxious? Like that's, that's not natural for me at all. And I don't think that it's natural for a lot of men either uh, to be able to do that. Yeah. I I totally think that's right too. You know, I I think, um, you know, to both of your points, you know, and especially Addison, something that you said 
uh, as soon as you started was, it's all good as long as you show up as you are, right? And show up willing to be that way. And um, it is difficult for men sort of regardless of race or gender, you know, whatever people are going through to show up because it really is an act of, of courage to do so. But there is a, there is a skill set to this and there's a, um, mm-hmm. there's a practice to it. And, and what I mean by, by that is that we don't tend to, to trust people with these details about our lives. We don't mm-hmm. tend to trust mm-hmm. people with our emotions and with the vulnerable places, you know, that are, that are in us. And so when I say practice, it is practicing what we're using as um, the word conscious, right? Which I would use almost interchangeably with being spiritual, which is a curiosity about oneself, a healthy mm-hmm. skepticism about um, one's presence in the world, and then having the courage to excavate that, first of all, to yourself, but also in relationships, be able to say, you know what, like, um, I am hearing something in what you're saying, you know, and you may not see it, but as your friend, uh, as your, uh, as your companion in life, let me actually tell you, um, uh, like if, like Mark, if you were to like, say, I'm a pretty conscious person, I'd be like, yeah, you are conscious, but you're not conscious in this area of your life. Mm-hmm. Can we mm-hmm. actually have that dynamic? Absolutely. Can we have that relationship where we're not defensive and that this is the actual set of, of skills and of practice of courageous practice that will actually help us navigate mm-hmm. through the racial conversation or race relations type of conversation in a more, um, in a more productive and constructive manner. Addison has thoughts. I'm ready. Well, I just, I feel like a little bit like, and I, I hate, like, it sounds like so VP of brand to jump in and say this, but like with Tether for Men, between what you both said, I mean, the first thing you do when you log on the app is, is pick an emotion that you're currently identifying with. And then the next thing you're prompted to do is to share. And I think what's really cool here is like, when you said, you know, practice, like to practice courage that is such a real thing and like we all know and especially as men like you know and the first thing we're going to jump to is practice makes perfect and like that's where I kind of want to like get in there as well and it's you know no this is this is a tool to practice excellence where like Mark said you have the opportunity to check in so where is this conversation coming from because you know you you can pretend you're having like a, a woke conversation about race but if it's coming from anger or coming from shame on your end and you haven't checked in, you know, in your instrument of who you are in your consciousness before you've started that conversation, is it really the conversation that you wanted to have, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know? And I think, I think we are at a place for sure where men literally, you know, especially do need to practice, practice checking in, practice putting something out in the world and then practice receiving a safe space and being in a safe space. And I think you guys have just really aligned for me. Like maybe you guys just gave me a free branding vision, but you know, <laughs> you've really, in, in just hearing the two of you speak, you know, that's a lot of what I'm doing is finding the, the, the universal in it, you know, right. while being completely conscious of the gaps, as I spoke of earlier and really, you know, showing up for every member of our community. Um, that's, that, you know, it, it's, it's so obvious from everything we're all sharing that this is something that we really have to practice. And, and with my life experience, I feel like, you know, I've had to practice sort of um, being isolated by experience a lot more than, um, 
quite literally my white brothers and sisters, but also like my, you know, my, my white community um, for sure, because I've just had very extreme things happen in my life. And for those listening, I just, you know, I've kind of had a, a decade of, of traumatic events happen that sort of are anomaly going from my brother's passing of um, cancer into my father's death by suicide, by which I found him. And then going into a very um, big car accident that um, killed one of my dearest, most beautiful friends and um, left me with a brain injury, learning to walk again. And again, that word navigating. So I've constantly had to reassess for me and what I do, how to help others and myself navigate. And I think like that's like such a, a seed of today. You know, if that could grow from this conversation for any man listening is, is there's no shame in ever relearning, reapproaching, and and looking at how you're navigating a situation. Yeah, you know that is totally right. And this thing about I love the word navigation, and um, you know we pull up our phones, you know, go to Google Apps or whatever it is. You know, this is such a trope for men, right, who don't want to ask mm-hmm. for directions, right. So we don't, yep. you know, like that's the, sort of the old age thing, you know, like men don't yeah. want to ask for directions, you know, you don't stop at the gas station and ask the guy for, for directions, whatever, you know. So this whole thing about asking for help to learn how to navigate, navigate through what is, is the mm-hmm. question. I think this is part of the mystery of, of what makes men sort of freak out about um, even n- needing to realize that, that you need to navigate through something at all, you know, comes mm-hmm. when you have to get like, like you get hit smacked right in the face with the forest or with a wall, you know, and then you're forced to realize that you actually need something, you know, and that you need some support. And, and here's, here's the, the thing that I think I like to add in here is that, you know, a, a conversation about race in America, if you're black or if you're white, if you're brown, if you're Asian, whatever it is, this is a conversation about self-preservation and fear and a conversation that from fear leads us to control, a conversation about mm-hmm. control and a conversation about power and needing to feel that individually in our lives. Anytime I'm doing a therapy session or a counseling session or a coaching session, this is literally what I'm navigating through, helping people to navigate through, is their own fear of their not being enough, over-functioning or under-functioning in order to get the affections of other people or organizations or systems. And when you're not able to do it, getting into this place of I'm then going to either drink a lot or I'm going to work a lot or I'm going to X, Y, and Z a lot more than what I need to in a way that's not healthy. And sometimes those things are really destructive, not just for your body, but for the body of people that you love and that are in your sphere of influence. And so when I take all of that and extrapolate that out to our national conversation about race or just relationships, right? Our communities and how we engage with one another. Let's say it's about black people and police or whatever the conversation is, apply it to your own life. Maybe it's a conversation that you're having with your wife, a conversation you're having with your boyfriend, a conversation you're having with whomever. Like this is where things start to devolve is when we have to actually consider the fact that, that I'm trying to control an outcome I'm trying Mm -hmm. to mitigate for the fear that I'm experiencing, (laughs) right? I'm trying to actually control all of the variables. And and, and, and it's all coming out of a place of fear that is coming out of a loss of a sense or really a a, maybe something we never even knew about our own value as people feeling like there's not enough to go around. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I want to I want to take that and I want to apply um, an example because I think you and I and Addison I think we have some common language here that we're using 
Uh, but if you're not kind of familiar with that language, I want to, you know, take it back to a real life application stemming from my own life. Um, and then to the racial conversation example of, of how that looks there. Uh, and one example is, you know, if you are jealous in a relationship, um, you are, you might say, okay, well, I'm jealous because you are doing X, Y, Z, uh, but their behavior doesn't, you don't feel, they're not causing you to feel that way. Jealousy is, if you look at it, what, what is the, the jealousy coming from? It's stemming from an insecurity. It's stemming from a fear that this behavior might compromise the relationship and it might leave me abandoned. Um, and so the first thing that you do, if you go and, you know, you go to counseling and this, you say, well, I have a jealousy problem or my partner does this, they're going to turn that back on you and say, well, actually you're feeling that it's not them causing you to feel that. Why are you feeling that way? Uh, and then an application that I've seen in the racial conversation, uh, in a similar way is like with the rioting, uh, I've had so many white friends who are like, you know, well, if they just weren't rioting, like I, I, uh, then maybe we could have a constructive conversation on this. Uh, and I really can't get over the rioting. I don't, you know, I don't want to condone that. And so it's really difficult for me to enter that conversation because I feel like that's what I would be doing. And even in my expressing support on social media, I've had uh, some conservative white friends reach out and really kind of question me and say, it seems like you're condoning this, this behavior that I would consider criminal. Uh, and I have to set them straight and be like, you know, what is it, what is it that's prohibiting you from, from entering into that uh, space where you can support the thing, the underlying thing, which is racial injustice and the anger that is there. Uh, because I think that if you can tap into that, uh, then that's how you stop the writing is if you address the underlying issue. But we want to focus too much on what we consider the bad behavior on the surface uh, that we can't enter into the, the real issue. Um, yeah, I, I think that's a that's a good point. I mean, the thing is, I, I don't mind if people have a, a confusion in their minds about rioting or about any of the stuff that is going on. This is very old and complex stuff that we're dealing with. And the, the reality, as far as I'm concerned, is that it's this lack of awareness, this lack of consciousness that keeps people from seeing their own, like keeps us from seeing our own hypocrisy, not them, but us. And what is the hypocrisy mm. in that scenario is that people want to share their opinions, but they don't want to help. Mm. People have mm. a lot of things to say as though I give a rip <laughs> what you have to say as though your opinion is a dime a dozen right now in this social media climate, you know, mm -hmm. um, the reality, you know, is, is that, you know, if, if you have some kind of an opinion, but you're not willing to clean the toilets, right. To go out there with the people to try and understand or to try and be a part of the prevention of violence, right. To be a part of the, the healing movement that is going to like that, that is risk, right. That you, um, put at, at your body and, and at your soul, but you're, but you'll only be free enough to do it when you feel secure in who you are. Mm -hmm. And people have done this throughout the ages, right? King said, you know, he had made peace at a certain point throughout this whole journey of civil rights with the fact that he could die at any moment, mm -hmm. but he would still go out there and do it. Cause he woke up mm -hmm. with the, with, with, with this, um, this, this, uh, like, um, it's, it's a commitment to noble pursuits, regardless of what might happen to his body, 
when that happened to his soul or to his spirit. He wasn't living in self-preservation, at least not in his behavior. He may have felt it emotionally, that, that risk, but on principle was conscious enough to say, you know what, this is, it's worth it for me to continue to go out here. But he was the, the model for thousands, hundreds, tens of thousands of other people that were willing to do the exact same thing. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. what is it that's going on in our generation that we don't have these actors, these conscious men, conscious leaders that are willing to do the same thing? And I think that the challenge to us right now on, on this podcast is to not just talk about it, but let us be about it. You know, right. that if we're going to ha- ha- actually have a conversation about consciousness is to actually do um, a, a, a dial in and a dial down to our own fear to our own willingness um, to be self-preserving versus being <laughs> the opposite of, of that and going out into the world and being a part of the social healing movement that will actually take this thing to an entirely different level and prepare us you know, for, for, for what's ahead. And what's ahead of us is a very contentious presidential election that's going to pull up the divide even more in this country. But what we really need as part of the remedy for all of this, right, is conscious leaders and most of those leaders just so happen to be men. And most of those leaders just so happen to be white men. Mm-hmm. Right? So no matter how I slice it on the conversation about race as a black man, I cannot get through this. We will not get through this unless we promote and empower consciousness in the white male psyche. Yeah. Absolutely. I, um, I just want to highlight because I, I thought, you know, it's really when you brought up control earlier, Brandon, and then um, when we moved in with Mark with uh, with jealousy, like it's funny. I actually have been looking at, at jealousy quite a lot, Mark, and I think the go to for even you know men and and anyone listening to this conversation, you know, we think jealousy is wanting what someone else has, you know, or envy of someone else's you know accolades or achievements. But like by definition, jealousy is also just a feeling or showing suspicion. Mm-hmm. Um, and also being fiercely protective, I'm reading this, fiercely protected or protective or vigilant of one's rights or possessions mm. is actually a, a, a definition of, of jealous. So it's mm. like, it just goes to show even within the checking in, you know, ha, like even within our own language, do, do we know what that means and how that's come up in us? And I think that like that Brandon's saying, like that does create this, this need to control and like, Brandon, I have to say, like, with all of my coaching, like my, I have learned that my like spiritual curriculum is to realize that I cannot control my spiritual curriculum Mm, mm -hmm. to a point that like, you know, like, that's really where, you know, I come from, like, very, very a type saw the success in in what control could create, but, but it was a full on survival technique, and there was no thriving in it. Absolutely not. That's right. I was surviving at a very high level that people were to bring it full circle, jealous of mm-hmm. at times, but I, for me, in my experience, you know, I was not thriving. And I think, again, like Mark, you said, people that don't have the words to put it around it. It's like, you may not be saying, uh, you know, I hurt too, therefore your hurt doesn't matter. What you're really saying is, I feel like I'm just trying to survive too. And I, I don't like have the words around to say it, but I don't feel like I'm thriving either, regardless of if I'm, you know, white, black, or, you know, or, or who I'm looking up to. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's, that's a big part of this, and especially when it comes to men. And obviously that's where my expertise lies, but in having that language to even be able to check in further about what we're really talking about. And the other thing that I would offer is like, you know, I can hear 
we all had those mentors and my, my coach, um, Jennifer Merrifield was just like, she's my mentor now. And just like this, this beautiful woman who was part of that spiritual cur curriculum. Cause I met her on a plane by accident mm -hmm. and my life changed from there. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, she, I can hear her saying, Addison, what you focus on expands. Mm -hmm. And I think that's like such a gift right now, because what I would want to do too, is just to ask both of you right now, if, if we chose to focus on where the things we're looking for are happening, are there examples? Are there anywhere we can lead people right now to look, look at what this person is saying and doing? Let's focus on that and expand that collectively, consciously. Like let's, you know, because what's happening and this is what's happened with men and gender roles for years and years and years is we're, we're reverting back to a sense of shame education. Mm -hmm. And I've watched through, you know, the Me Too movement. I've watched through, you know, the misogyny and the, you know, all of, all of these men's mental health movements that, what I'm finding over and over again is I connect with, you know, I'm probably at hundreds of, of different men right now and in, in, in just in the roles that I've taken in my life is that shame education is not getting us anywhere. Wow. You know, they need examples, just like Brandon said, you know, it's like, and we need leaders. We need to close the gap, of course, on the leaders and who we're looking up to, of course, mm -hmm. um, you know, for sure. And you know, we have to be very much collectively a part of championing what is badass now. Like, no, that's a man. Look at that guy and the way he, you know, shows up for his kids and his family and for himself, like mm -hmm. fully, you know. And, and so I would just, you know, for anyone listening, like within this conversation, I would just say, like, you know, be aware, be conscious, have the facts, have the statistics, know what's happening with, you know, social injustice or sustainability or whatever we're talking about, whatever intersection we're at, even within the pandemic, but also fiercely look to focus on and, and expand what is happening, because that's where the learning is, mm -hmm. you know, um, and finding that. And then, and then kind of sharing that and, and expanding that. And, and that can totally, like, that is just my, you know, and I think when you brought up Martin Luther King, like, that's what I think of. That was the uh, beautiful focusing and expansion of, like, what could be, you know, what, mm. what should be, you know. And, and um, you're right. It's like, it's, I don't know if it's media technology, just like the ADD of, of our, our culture at this time, but it's hard to to focus in like the, the polarity is even starting to not exist anymore in a way it's just mm -hmm. sort of this this blur and um so i do i do want to just like you know brandon who is there anyone right now that you would ask me to to focus on and expand with my reach and, and you know within my community um what 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 can what would you suggest me to amplify and share and you, you know what's actually really cool rather than what's really not cool um, totally. Well, yeah. Yeah. I, I and and I would, it, you know, certainly. And I would, I mean, here's, here's an idea, you know, in terms of how I, you know, frame this very notion of, of expansion and focus mm -hmm. on, um, I don't want to say the, the positive, but rather the hopeful. Yeah. I think that's a trap too. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's the hopeful it's, it's what is, what is, um, what is courageous, you know, who, whom is courageous and those that are mm -hmm. courageous have at the core of their DNA, something in the matter of hope. And mm. there's something going on. If we were to use King as an example, again, towards the end of it all, he was more hated than he was loved. Mm. It wasn't right. until he was assassinated that he was loved again. Mm. Right. And what I think is, is really important, you know, it just very, very much in this context of, of what you're saying about expansion and then focus 
on something mm-hmm. that is more redeemable, um, that is more restorative, is those people who have hope against all adversity. Um, mm-hmm. I think King was one of those people, you know, yeah. in, not just in, in, in his memory, but we don't talk about those difficult times when he had a brick thrown in his head and it hit him mm. um, prior to the bullet hitting him, mm. you know, and his um, being resolute and fortified. Why? And he says it like this. He goes, no matter what, people will say X, Y, and Z thing about me, but you will always mm. see me focused on nonviolence as the method <sighs> through which we will change it. Even when everyone, all the black people were fatigued with King. King was not popular in New York. He wasn't popular in LA. He wasn't popular in Chicago. He wasn't popular in these places where at the, and, you know, at, at the heyday of, of the civil rights movement, you know, he was the most popular and he was the shining leader. He, he was the object, you know, of, of great affinity and great affection, you know, for those African-Americans, you know, for those then called Negroes, right, who, who, who were saying, we want to be like King. This was the, the, the faith-based nonviolent movement at the end of the 60s was the last thing Black people wanted to engage in. Mm-hmm. And yet still with courage and hope and knowing who he was, knowing his calling, knowing his purpose, knowing his identity, also stayed focused and stayed rooted to who he was. He showed up conscious of of that, Mm -hmm. despite um, the questions or the doubt that he would have had about his own position, um, uh, about his own um, failures in the movement, um, and even personally to his family, to his wife. still said with hope and with courage, we can see it happen. And he even Mm -hmm. said the last speech in Memphis, he goes, I've looked over and I've seen the promised land. And he goes, I may not get there with you, but mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. And those were the last words that he spoke publicly, you know, pretty amazing. So let's expand that. My eyes yeah. have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. I see the promised land. I may not get there with you. And who is courageous enough to say, I may not get there with you, but I'm worth spending my blood and my time, my energy, my talent, my resources so that you can have it. Wow. Right. Wow. And talking about recognizing the, and thank you for that. Like that is so beautiful. Um, you know, just to be reminded of, of, of all of that and, and, and to hear those words, you know, it, it for me, what, what, what comes up is just, you know, the recognition of the value of being in an uncomfortable place in your life for the purpose of growth. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think we have a, like a huge avoidance of that, especially, you know, in, in the men's community. But, you know, that, that doing anything to not feel uncomfortable, even helping someone else to not feel uncomfortable, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's, you know, but, the, but then every example, it, you know, when, you know, it's like, I'm sure Brandon, it's like the eye roll of like any sort of like coaching and consulting is like, you know, where there's fear, go there, where, you know, when you're uncomfortable, that means you're growing, you know, that's, that's from that, what I think, like, you know, in this conversation where, you know, Mark, you keep making um, this very, this conversation very applicable to like everyday life. And I love like you using like your relationship. And then on the other side of the spectrum, you know, we're, we're having a very courageous conversation, you know, at the crossroads we're at right now, 
um, with racial injustice. And it's, you know, I think, you know, that that keeps showing up like as the through line between what you're both saying. And I'm really going to carry that forward with me. It's just, you know, this it seems so simple, but the starting to let go of the control and also to, to rewire that fear around discomfort, because like, that's, that's where it is. That's where, you know, the glory is the, the change, you know, when you said that last quote, it's just like, ah, and that's always true. But we have this like genetic thing to protect ourselves from any sort of change. Mm. And I, like, you know, and, and the reason I bring this up is in these conversations, the way you started this, so, you know, what's up with the white dudes? It's like, I don't even know if the white dudes no, just that there's an autopilot to like, oh, that sounds like change. I'm shutting down. I'm getting defensive. I'm, you know, whatever it is. And, you know, that's all part of the rewiring of, of allowing ourselves to become emotionally intelligent men, you know, in the face of 2020, you know, because the resources are there now. The communities do exist now. You know, that's, that is available now to, to have this type of conversation. Totally. Mark, how about yes. you? What are you expanding? What are you focusing on and expanding? Yeah, uh, well, I'm going through a book right now called The Road Less Traveled, uh, A New Psychology of Love, Traditional Values, and Spiritual Growth. It's by M. Scott Peck, uh, and it was written back in the 70s originally, or 80s, um, I believe, and really just kind of transformative. And what he outlines is that, uh, and I love his kind of definition, and I'm trying to pull it up, and let me know if I go off here. Can you still hear me? Yep, we got you. My phone. Okay, I'm trying to pull it up on my phone. Uh, but he kind of gives a definition of mental health that I'm really kind of obsessed with right now. And it's the uh, human tendency to avoid problems and the emotional suffering inherent in them is the primary basis of all human mental illness. Since most mm. of us have this tendency to a greater or lesser, lesser degree, most of us are mentally ill to a greater or lesser degree, lacking complete mental health. And, uh, and that goes to Addison's point, which is, uh, you know, we do a lot of a lot of things in our lives to avoid uh, confronting the difficult questions, confronting the difficult work. Uh, and that is what mental health, uh, he argues, is all about and what self-discipline is about, you know, so that we aren't um, kind of numbing ourselves with alcohol or numbing ourselves with relationships or women or work. Um, all of these things um, can distract us. They aren't bad things necessarily, but taken to an unhealthy degree. What are you using to to numb or prevent yourself from having to go into the dark place and figure out what's mm-hmm. going on there? Uh, because Addison, to your point, you know, by all you know visible markers, you were you were successful and you were flourishing. And in a similar way, that's kind of where I found myself a few years ago as well. Uh, but a lot of that was to cover up and using women to affirm me, you know, my value, mm-hmm. uh, cover up a place that I didn't want to go because it, it's hard and it's difficult. And you are having to uh, recreate the map, the reality that you've created in childhood to survive uh, whatever environment you are in. You're trying to use that same roadmap in your adult life. And uh, and there's a term for that called transference and, and remapping that is painful, uh, because you have to admit in places where you've been wrong, you have to admit places where you've hurt other people. And so I think what I'm trying to amplify right now in this season of my life is, um, 
you know, giving myself permission to go deeper in that self-examination, mm-hmm. uh, giving myself permission to be more disciplined in, uh, in recognizing where I can kind of still fall asleep at the wheel and go on autopilot uh, with these things, these patterns that I've had since childhood. Uh, but that's not what's going to lead to flourishing, showing up and being fully honest with who I am, where I am, uh, the things that I, I want in life and, uh, and even, you know, where I, I can't see right now, you know, I, I don't have the answer. I, I like, I like to be able to say, and I said this at uh, a campaign event, it's okay with not being okay. And that's, you know, that comes out of therapy. That's a common thing to say, mm-hmm. but I think if we can say that more in our public lives, it's okay not to have the answers. I, I saw a friend who she kind of manages overseas a team in San Francisco and she posted on LinkedIn that she was really struggling. This is at the onset of the, the racial um, civil unrest. And she's like, hey, I'm, I'm just going to be honest. I don't know. I've really struggled with how to have this conversation with you. And that's how she's kicked off the conversation with them was saying, mm-hmm. hey, I'm not really sure. I don't have all the answers. And of course, you know, that's a woman. Uh, who's doing that. But I think if men can adopt that posture and say, hey, I don't know whether that's in your relationship, you know, with a a companion, a partner saying, hey, I don't know. I feel scared. Um, This isn't necessarily even about you. You're involved. Uh, But Mm -hmm. I I have a lot of fear here and I I need some maybe some help navigating it. Like, what are you seeing? Uh, And then being able to do that on a societal level, in culture, in your neighborhoods, in your communities, uh, I think if we can start practicing that, uh, then I think that that will really be able to to change our generation markedly, where we're expected to have all the answers at all times. And I think you really hit the gold there. And like one thing, like the biggest takeaway for myself, even in this conversation, even if it's something I've learned and, and reteach myself every day, is regardless of of what we think or what we may have learned, there is absolutely no weakness. There is no weakness in responding with saying, I don't feel equipped or educated enough to have this conversation. I would like to learn more and thoughtfully respond. Mm -hmm. And I think that there's some sort of weakness around not having a immediate stance or not having, you know, immediate knowledge and, and, and the giving other people the instant gratification of, of being able to have higher level, harder conversations, you know, so, you know, we know as men, this happens a lot, but just as people, you know, you're, you're sort of, you are not forced to definitively say anything in a moment, you know, you can always like the biggest strength that like, you know, that I've ever shown is even when something really positive is offered to me, still saying the same thing as when something I don't know if it's right is offered to me is, you know, I'm, I'm going to take some time with this. I'm going to take 24 hours and thoughtfully respond. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. Because there's no, and that is, that is a, a, a real type of strength, I think, in this day and age with the instant gratification, with the technology, you know, with, with the way we're being wired in every other way to say, hey, you know what? I actually am not prepared for a CNN style living room debate tonight. You know, <laughs> I, I, I would, but you know, I actually would, would love to feel prepared, you know, and, and I've, I've, you know, a lot of, you know, I think even, you know, we have these things. I don't think anything's off the table. I, you know, I don't go if you don't speak with politics or religion at dinner kind of thing, but also don't come to the table 
not really consciously able to speak on those things, at least from your, your point of view. And, and like you said, you've done that check-in. So if you're asking a question that starts with why, let's all just like take that extra step and ask ourselves why we're asking that question, you know? And it's like, that's like an old marketing trick, you know, ask, ask why five times to get to the real root of the problem. Mm -hmm. What's the real why, you know, and why are you, you know, showing up in the way you are. Yeah. That's, um, and I, that's, I love that. That is brilliant. And I, I exercise the exact same thing, you know, in the context of, um, you know, the current cultural moment, you know, people are asking me a lot of questions. I've been on, I've just been asked to speak to it a lot. And people ask me honestly questions that only get to the surface, you know, um, you know, a famous question, you know, like what is it that black people want white people to hear, you know, and to the question, I go, I'm not doing that. I'm not answering that question. Let's actually get to the why behind the question. Mm. And let's get to the why behind that question. Mm. Because you have mm. to go several levels down to actually get mm -hmm. to, to the fundamental avoidance. Like, what is it that people are avoiding with asking other people to answer certain questions? And it will always come down to, an, to this thing about identity and then fear and a resistance of being curious and then open to an alternative that you think will cause you to lot to like lose body or lose power or lose um, a, a, a sense of self and a sense of confidence. And my doing that work for you by answer, by trying to answer, or are you hmm. trying to get me to answer the initial question only delays you being able to grow in a way that you need to. And it also disempowers me because you won't listen to me if I give you the answer anyway. Mm. Mm. You know, so that, 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 that kind of awareness here again, getting back to one of these original points is such a, it, it is a, a skill. It is practicing vulnerability and honesty. It's practicing healthy skepticism, um, healthy curiosity about um, what it is that, that we think we know only to realize that we don't know a damn thing. Mm -hmm. You know, and if we're open to the fact that that we don't know and there's no shame in not knowing that we can come to the table looking for wonder counsel, looking for wonderful um, ways in which we can um, have deeper layers of understanding with humility of of the fact that other people are going to have will, will always have something to add to what we think we know, to what we think we understand. And if we can be welcoming and having that that type of of environment be a part of the ethos be a part of the spirit of what we bring to every conversation we will create a tipping point in in the world you know for you know for what it will take and have difficult and uncomfortable degrees of conversations that ultimately will um leave um us as communities and as individuals more alive and more awake and more complicated able to hold tension able to hold um com complex thoughts and ideas and 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 feelings that'll produce the opportunity for catharsis for, for, for the next generation. And, and, and we can be that actual ceiling to the next generation's floor. If we give ourselves that opportunity to be courageous, um, that's what I think is happening, but it is definitely the remnant. It's the smaller group of people, but I'm not discouraged by that because it takes that group, that, that smaller, mm -hmm. more nascent, like emerging group of people are, are the heroes. These are the league of, of extraordinary gentlemen, <laughs> you know, of extraordinary people 
whose superpowers are, are not climbing buildings or, or leaping over buildings in a single bound, you know, or taking um, on bullets and not having anything scathe them. The, their, their superpowers are literally uh, uh, some, some kind of crazy empathy and listening and curiosity honesty and vulnerability and the list goes on it's those it's those things that that don't get regaled are are the actual things that that we want to put out um as the hope and as the things to focus on and then expand yeah damn beautiful well absolutely you, you two just saved wow. me 150 dollars on my my uh <laughs> my therapy session so thank you that's Come all on. this podcast is about is just snickering people into uh giving me free counsel so go into therapy go to therapy for pizza hey, that's, go. that's the reason to get a, a podcast that's the main reason that's right <laughs> yeah, that's right uh but no i i count you two as a as good company to be in and i'm grateful to to be able to have this conversation with you two and i know that as busy men who are showing up in the world i know you two both have uh some some engagements that you have to get on to and we're coming up on time so i want to uh to honor that and respect you know your your time commitments outside of this so but if you have any last words any parting things you know feel free to i think we leave them to addison what what are your final words you want to leave us with you know i just uh, again want to start off by saying thank you to you both so much and again uh you know this is exactly the type of conversation that I'm hoping that we can get men having um, with Tether for Men in the app. You know, it's it. You know, we were able to check in. We were able to be honest. We were compassionate with each other, and uh, we we really showed up today. And I, I just I I have like a smile on my face, and and I'm I'm very very grateful for you for you both showing up in the ways that you specifically did and owning that. And um, I you know when I said uh, ex- what we focus on expands. I hope we can get quite a few people to focus on this this hour that we've taken with each other because I think the expansion of it would be a very, very beautiful thing, not only for men, but beyond. Um, and uh, yeah, thank you guys. I, I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank, thank you, Addison. And to everyone, let's um, make sure, uh, I know we're gonna link to Tether for Men and um, everything else that you're doing. And we're just really grateful you took time out um, from your life to spend some time with us today. Um, that's all I got, Mark. That's all. That's, uh, that's all. That's awesome. All, and I hope we can get you guys over to Tether Talk soon on our, Anytime. On our live because the guys need to hang with you guys for sure. Anytime. Uh, it's been a great hour. Thank you, guys. Yeah. Appreciate you both. Have a good one. Bye. You too. All right. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to Behind the Scene. Just a quick reminder that the views expressed in this podcast are strictly that of Brandon's and mine and do not reflect that of our employer. Uh, and then second, if you enjoyed this content at all, we'd love it if you could like it and subscribe. And then, of course, if you think you know anyone who would benefit from this content or would like to engage with it, please share it with them as well. And we will see you next time.